I miss you, Scott. It's so nice to see you. It's good to see you too, Father Peter, and it's good to see all of you. Welcome to the Word on the Hill. To the Word on the Hill. We are the Lanky Guys. I'm Father Peter Musset. I am Scott Howell, and we are back in the same room. Oh my gosh. Dude, we in between, I mean, I I went to the exotic location of <laughs> of Kansas City, Kansas to the Savior Pastoral Center. Living the dream. And uh, and and where have you been? I went to well, I feel it was strange. It was just a couple days ago and I was only there for 36 hours. <laughs> but I was in Krakow, Poland. Cracking it. <laughs> World Youth Day. Krakow, I'm just reminded and this is not my first time in Krakow, but I still am of the firm belief that Krakow is the best city in Europe. Really? Yeah, I am firmly I firmly hold that belief. I know it's subjective, but I will stick by it. Cool. There was and I've well, I guess the only other World Youth Day was in Denver. But literally every house had the Polish flag and the Vatican flag hanging. Like, oh, dude, that's you awesome. You could tell that the whole city, the whole country was just pumped about World Youth Day. Dude. And it's just, it's just. I mean, we were there so briefly, but we got a very limited time to just kind of be in the old town square and, and I, with, with, you know, 2.5 million of our best friends, which was a really hard time to be there. It was, it was, there was this one day, though, that there, was, there was a great <laughs> metaphor that came out of this. But it was, I was super jet lagged, just tired. And we had dinner on the square and we were just trying to get back to our hotel. And nobody knows what the Pope is doing at any given time. He just is always changing his plans and everyone's flipping out. So they were, there was all these barricades of like tens of thousands of people. And then we'd turn around and go the other way. And then they'd barricade the other way because nobody <laughs> knew where the Pope was going to go. And it was, do you ever have those like nightmares where you're like trying to get someplace and you literally can't do it? Oh yeah. It felt like a nightmare. And they're just like, there's a crowd of 50,000 people you can't break through. So you turn around and then another police barricade goes up and we're just trying to get back to this hotel. And then we turn a corner and there's the Pope speaking from the archbishop's window and giving this <laughs> blessing. And we're like, oh my gosh, we just got a papal blessing. This is amazing. Dude, that's awesome. And then I still wanted to go back home and get some sleep because yeah. we had to speak in front of 20,000 people the next morning. But it was, yeah, it was an incredible trip. So, Dude, And a shout out amazing. to all, the, I was amazed at how many people I met who listened to the podcast. And I've heard of the podcast and gave hellos to you. And I was getting texts all over the place, actually. Were they really? were like, they were like, we're in you day. We just Dude. saw Scott. We love the lanky guys. Lanky guys, man. Lanky guys around the world. What, and a what? shout out especially to, I think her name was Molly, my really good friend, oh. who helped oh. me procure, we'll use that word, <laughs> procure a sign for you. So the faithful listeners to this podcast will remember the old stories about Father Peter stealing all the signs. To World Youth Day in 1993. Directing pilgrims. So a faithful volunteer helped me, quote unquote, steal a sign to bring back to Father Peter to give to him on his birthday, which is today. Dude, it's, birthday, thanks. Peter. it's my birthday today, you guys. That's what I hear. I um, It's funny. I, I kept on thinking about you all in like the 2.5 million of you in a city. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, man... There, there's something there. It, not only is there something special about a city, but there's like, cause, cause a city affords all, ch- all sorts of chance encounter. Yeah. Like, which it, is what world youth day is and, and was at least this. Yeah. Like people just bursting into song. Yeah. Randomly. It's just, it's just like the best. And so yeah. I was, I was at, um, uh, the savior pastoral center in Kansas city at a living waters training, which is, is a, uh, is a phenomenal ministry mm. that um, helps walk people who are in sexual and relational brokenness uh, back into the heart of Christ. And so yeah. it was just, it was, it was just so awesome. But I was just thinking about like how much of the outpouring of the spirit was where I was. Oh, but then a huge time, but then 2.5 million people in the outpouring of the spirit there. Like I, it, it's my favorite thing to do stuff that you know, has eternal consequences. Like, yeah, it's, absolutely. It, it's like moments like going to a World Youth Day, going and like walking with people in an intentional time of retreat to be able to help uh, help them bring their hearts to the Lord. And it's just it's just the best. So like a shout out particularly to Dean Greer, who Dean is just like is just awesome. And uh, and, and all of the team and it, it just was it was just phenomenal. There were so many people, but it's ecumenical, so there's like lots of evangelicals, lots of Catholics, so all coming cool. together and just like experiencing like coming as beggars to the foot of the cross, mm. and going and saying like, "I need your love, your grace. I need everything that you have for me." And so it's just, it's just like it's like times like that that I'll never ever forget. And praise so, God. 
So it's just cool. So I, I was thinking about you and and not doing the 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 podcast for a week. It was hard. It it actually was really hard this week because I felt like that there was like there was a lot of just beautiful things happening. Which is which is really good though that we were able to kind of soak those up and hopefully in some weird way share those with you now. Our first reading on Winging It Nineteenth Sunday is coming. From, <laughs> did are you winging it today? No, no. I actually right. studied and prayed through all the readings today. Oh wow. It's, well my, it's, it's my birthday. It's Dude, my birthday. If you don't start your birthday with a holy hour, an hour mm. of prayer on your birthday, then seriously, you're in a different zone. Like, yeah. like, cause True like that. what I loved at living waters is we would have this, this time of spontaneous before we ever did anything. We did just a time of Thanksgiving and, awesome. and, and like, as people are like kind of calling out their Thanksgivings, it like really opens your heart to like say like, gosh, what am I thankful for? And then these other people are being thankful and you're like, wow, I'm inspired to be more thankful about everything. So I'm thankful for these readings and for your friendship. Actually, it's really, Scott, it's it's really nice to talk to you. It's good to talk to you. I've missed you. I missed you, Tim. But we're here together now. All right. Our first reading. <laughs> Down to business. Down to, well, you got to go no, Enough of the sentimental stuff. You have to go and say mass at the nursing home soon. I do. All right, our first reading is from the book of Wisdom, chapter, what is that, 18, verse 6 through 9. I think my eyesight has, has literally gotten worse since we started the podcast. I think it's true. Chapter 18, verse 6 through 9. Yeah, that's what it says. Then our psalm is 33. Mm. We have 1, 12, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. That is a veritable hodgepodge. Veritable hodgepodge of Psalm, of psalm, 20, psalm with 32. the response coming from 12b. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Our second reading is coming from the book of Hebrews. Option A. Oh, yeah. We always do option A, the long version. It's always the long one for us. Long time. All right. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 2, and then jumping to verse 8 through 19. Did you read like 3 through 7? Yeah, it's just a, a laundry list of other heroes of the Old Testament. I know. It was like a kind of a recounting of the covenant. It was cool. This is one of those times when the jump actually makes a lot of sense because the scriptures this week want to zero us in on Abraham. And so the, intermean, the intervening... Abraham was the righteous one. Our gospel reading is coming from... The, <laughs> from Hebrews, chapter 11. No, it's not. Oh, yeah, that's the gospel. We, we're going to go with the gospel of option A. This is, is long reading option? week, yeah. Oh, there is a second. Oh, that's pathetically short. <laughs> that's like, come on. Yeah, dude. Hey, I mean, it's the summertime. This is how people feel sometimes. Yeah, put your heart into it. Luke 12, 32 to 48. Mm, this is a good one. Oh, you know, it's really funny. I, I just, know, I just thought of it. Funny. Dean came up to me um, this last week and he, he was like, he's like, Father, you've really been really good about, um, censoring the dude <laughs> on the podcast no no just, just just like as i was interacting with humans last week i was like I was interacting with humans <laughs> I just, I, summertime is weird here because we don't interact with as many humans no i mean like it's just like it's just like a much quieter experience um it's really funny everybody scott's computer is hooked up like our headphones they can't hear that i know they, they, know. they, they can't hear you. it but but like like literally you I know got my how, hand in a lot of pots like, bing, like he is getting blown up he has gotten maybe 15 text messages by my, the time i have my hand in a lot of pots hey dude that's that's exactly it well we are in colorado so okay there we go all right wisdom let's talk about wisdom for it let's talk about oh, wisdom baby let's talk about, about wisdom and baby. me that's awkward you're the one who just went awkward. I know, on and then it, I realized what song I was singing. I know, I but didn't, wisdom I didn't is, realize it at first. So my Bible um, says wisdom of Solomon. Yeah, the the tradition is that. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Nobody knows exactly who wrote the Book of Wisdom. <laughs> Nobody can hear it. <laughs> Nobody knows exactly who wrote the Book of Wisdom. It's uh, traditionally attributed to Solomon. The Miratorian Canon, which is one of the earliest compilations of the Old Testament. Miratorian um, Canon is yeah, that. The, Who's Miratorian? I don't know. It's a place. It's a locale. Okay. Where we discovered the canon. Um, it, it attributes it to Solomon's friends. So here's the thing. The wisdom of Solomon, it's one of the, it doesn't show up in Protestant Bibles or in Jewish Bibles, in fact. It's oh. one of the deuterocanonical books, right? Okay. Or some people call it apocryphal. Apocryphal. Yeah, I don't like apocryphal, though. Deutero, deuterocanon is the more proper Catholic term. Okay. There's the protocanon. So here's what okay, very quick crash. <laughs> the proto canon is that is that like no, the, is. is that the prototype of, of No, no, it's really what does proto mean? F before? First. Yeah. Yeah, and deutero means second. 
So Deuterocanon, so the Deuterocanonicals, it almost sounds like this derogatory term. It's not. It just means it's the second one. So the protocanon is, so, so here, here's our, our historical point of reference. Ba, ba, ba. <laughs> the more you know. Dun, 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 dun. Remember those commercials? <laughs> the more you know. Mm-mm. You don't? Yeah, you do. I didn't watch TV. Whatever. <laughs> okay. You watch more TV than anybody I know. All right. So the uh, the original canon of scripture, you got the Torah, you have the prophets, you have the wisdom literature, or you have the, the, the Psalms and the Proverbs, right? Okay. Um, in uh, a couple hundred years before Christ, right, 300 or so years, 300, 400 years before Christ, um, the government of Greece invited the Jewish people up to Alexandria and S- Egypt. 70 of them, right? Yeah, 70, 70 elders, elders. Tradition states. Well, you, because, to, because to, to let you guys know that Greek was actually kind of the language of the diaspora. It's kind of the English of the age. Yeah, it, yeah it, basically. It, it, it's like if you want to do business, you got to know Greek. It was handy being in Poland and knowing that 90% of the people will know at least a little bit of English. I mean... Because I yeah. was... You know what the thing about being in Poland? And this was one of those things I didn't think through all the way. I <laughs> On the flight over, which is a 10-hour flight, so I had a little bit of time just to study up on a couple of my Polish phrases. But it was one of those things... I don't know if you've ever done this in a foreign country before. You learn just enough of the local language where you can like ask a question, but you have no idea how to understand what the answer is, <laughs> dude, which is the worst. Dude, I, that reminds me of Father <clears throat> Matt Hartley. He was in some sort of weird Mexican prison during his his, his like assignment as a seminarian. Oh, he wasn't in prison. No, no, no. He, but he, he was, was doing good ministry in a Mexican prison. That's like a nightmare. Yeah, but but he would say, "Ah, oh, cómo está," and like he would he would do it like really well, <laughs> and then people would be like, blah, blah, blah. like they would come back and. And he is like, oh, no, no, I don't know. Like, and it's just like one of those funny things. Because you don't really think that through until you're in the moment. And you're like, I know how to ask where the bathroom is, but I don't know how to understand your answer. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So uh, the, the Greek Empire, they were, um, before the time of the Maccabees, the Greeks were really benevolent. And the Greeks, you know, are historically known for wisdom and knowledge and all these things. And all sorts of Greekery. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. But the Greeks thought it would be really cool for all of the peoples within their empire to come up to Alexandria and Egypt to translate all of their holy books and their histories into Greek so that the whole world could have this kind of library of culture and of knowledge and of, you know, everything that the world thinks about. So they invited 70 elders, uh, traditionally speaking, from Jerusalem, from the Jewish people, to come and translate their holy books into Greek. And that's what we call the Septuagint. So you, some of you have heard of the Septuagint. I Actually, so it's, it's, it's funny. I always use the Septuagint when I'm, when I'm studying for the podcast. Well, Jesus used the Septuagint. We know that because he specifically quotes some of the nuances that show up in the Septuagint. Yeah, so you find in the New Testament Greek specific, actually like pulled yeah. out phrases directly related back yeah. to the Septuagint version. So the Septuagint, so they're up there, they translate the, the proto-canon, right? So the Torah, the prophets, Psalms, Proverbs, those books, they translate that all into Greek. But while they were up there, tradition says that they actually also compiled some other stuff. So they were up there and they compiled together some of the other wisdom literature they had, some other traditional books. Uh, Sirach is said to have been written during that time period. Wisdom, not really written, but actually compiled. Mm. That they had all of these kind of proverbs and other things that they compiled and put into Greek while they were there. Um, it's called the proto-canon because it was the first really canon of scripture. Now, things like the story of the Maccabees has not happened yet. So part of the 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 trick when, when you get to why are Protestant Bibles shorter than Catholic Bibles, um, the Jewish canon was put together based on, okay, what are the books that we have in the original Hebrew? Because that's our liturgical language. And we would call that t- the Tanakh. The Tanakh, which is, again, you could also call it the proto-canon. Really, yeah. But then I, I'm were, just trying yeah, to yeah, yeah, trying yeah, to help people uh, yeah. access it. We would for 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 um for those uh, uh, Israelites, for the Hebrews, for those Jews who read the scriptures, they wouldn't yeah. call it the Old Testament because exactly right. They they call it the t- <laughs> there's not a new one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They'd call it the Tanakh. Just in case you're ever wondering, wondering. But that's really all to say that just because that doesn't mean that the other books, so like Maccabees and Wisdom and Sirach and some of these were not considered still inspired word of God. So, because, so what happens is that, is it, isn't it particularly Martin Luther comes and yeah. he, and he's saying, 
I want to like he he's really trying to go to a resource mod. He's yeah. saying, yeah, yeah. I, like like what I'm seeing around me is a bunch of corruption and difficulty. How do we get truly back to the sources? So he's like, let's go to the Hebrew scriptures. So what what ends up happening is that this proto canon. Uh, that that's translated into Septuagint is uh, that's great, but then there's actually some books which we would call the Deuterocanonical books. This, right. the, the second book. s- second books, the, the second round of scripture in a certain sense. Yeah, the, and we would call the New Testament the Trito Canon. Actually, I've never heard of the Trito Canon. I think I coined the term just now. <laughs> <laughs> really, <laughs> I love you. You're yeah, you're my hero. Thanks, man. So. So, so anyway, so long story short, and it ends up coming out that um, with this kind of seeking out of the original language, you those books that are actually only found in Greek and not in Hebrew end up becoming this this deuterocanonical set of books, right? Because because they're not they're not um, as quote unquote authentic because of not finding them in the Hebrew. It's it's really not even that. It's not even a question of at least for the Jews, it wasn't really a question of authenticity. It was a question of, okay, we have a certain liturgical language, so what books are we going to use in a liturgical setting? Mm. It's the books that are in this language. Mm. Obviously, I mean, Maccabees is literally the only book of the Bible where you find uh, Hanukkah recorded. The Jewish people obviously believe in Hanukkah, dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. but it's not a liturgical book. So that's, that's, I think, where Martin Luther's primary misunderstanding was, oh. is he looked at a liturgical setting that the Jewish people sort of saw, and he took it as um, a different kind of authority than I think the Jews actually intended mm. back when they established this. But all that is to say, again, to make a really long story short, the Book of Wisdom, <laughs> the Book of Wisdom was compiled during that time when they're up in Alexandria, when they're reflecting on all here, these things. Up in here. But what you get out of the Book of Wisdom, you get a people of God. And remember, this is a strange time in Jewish history where um, the exile is. The exiles kind of happen. So they've gone off to slavery in Babylon. They've been released from Babylon. They've come back to Jerusalem. The Greek empire is now sort of lording over them. They're benevolent lords at the time, but they're still living in a kind of exile because they're back in Jerusalem. They've rebuilt the temple. They don't believe the Lord has returned to it. They're still not their own people. The Greeks are kind of in control. And so there's this period of reflecting on what does it mean to be the people of God when we're not fully permitted to be the people of God. I mean, the, the Jewish ethos really goes back to the time of Abraham, which is what our scriptures are bringing us back to. And in the time of Abraham, God made a series of promises to Abraham about what it meant to be the people of God. And he said, you, Abraham, are going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, which I is mean, what which, talks about. Which is, the, which is like the covenantal promise. It is. But out of that promise, there comes three others. You're going to have land that is your own. You're going to have a great kingdom. And you're going to be a blessing to all the world. And for most of the Jewish history, they don't have their land. They don't have their own kingdom because some other empire is over them. And they're not a blessing to the rest of the world because they've made a lot of mistakes and we've done things that we shouldn't do. This is precisely what Jesus fulfills. He restores all of creation to the promised land. He gives us a kingdom, the kingdom of God. And he creates a blessing for all of the earth. A Eucharistic blessing in a very specific way, but the Catholicos, the blessing of God goes out to the world. This is what the Jewish people are waiting for. So in this time of waiting, they bring together the book of wisdom, which is this long reflection on, in a lot of ways, what does it mean to be the people of God when we're not really permitted to fully be the people of God? What does it mean to be the chosen people when someone else is over us? Mm. So the book of wisdom is... There's a lot that's going on in wisdom, but it's basically a lot of wisdom is how do you see God's providence in the things that he has created? Mm. We don't have, they do have the temple by this point, but earlier than that, you know, they didn't have a temple. They didn't have the priesthood. They couldn't make sacrifice. They couldn't do any of the things that you do to be a Jewish person. So how do you actually find God in the midst of that? How do you find God in the midst of exile? Mm. That's really the question of the book of wisdom. Right. God hasn't returned to the temple. What do you do with that? And so the answer comes in, well, you can just look out at creation and you can see the providence of God. Now, the second part of the book of wisdom, which is where our reading comes from, is a long reflection on salvation history. And specifically pointed to the fact that, look, if you look back over salvation history, you can see that just through the things that God has made in creation, his providence is rightly shown. And you can actually see the ways in which 
when we follow God, we are blessed. And while we follow the things that are not of God, we are cursed. And so in this particular section, it's talking about the book of Exodus, which is a heavy theme in the book of wisdom Exodus. and saying that, look, you can see here you have the Egyptians in the book of Exodus, right? They worshiped creation rather than the creator, right? They worshiped the Nile River and these gods and these things of nature. Dude, I, and what destroyed them, though? The nature. Things, it's the so, Red Sea actually destroyed them. The things that they were worshiping were actually the cause of their destruction. Dude, somebody was just telling me they went to a they went to a, uh, a wedding, and during the like the vows quote unquote section, uh -oh. they were like, and we turned to the east where we call upon the, the, the spirits of the winds to bless us. We face to oh, the dear. north and ask the spirit of fire to be upon us. And it was like, I was like, like literally they were like, I think we have to leave. Like there's no, there's no possible way to be a part of this. But right. it's like calling upon those uh, like principal powers and those elemental, actually I would say straight up demonic forces. Really at that point you're like, yes, like, you're but, opening yourself to some insanity. And that's like what Egypt was, was living. But that's where it gets a little bit tricky though, because you can actually see the logic of it. I mean, say you're an Egyptian, you live in this desert region where, where it's desolate, it's hot, it's. You know, it's it's desert and mysterious. And then you have the Nile River, which, if you look, even look at it like a Google map of Egypt, mm. you have desolate desert. It's and hard then to you be in the denial Nile about River. that. Yeah. Oh, stop it! Come on! But then you have the Nile River, and you see things blooming and life and all of this flowering amazingness. It's hard to not be like, "Wow, that is the source of all life." It's, you can kind of see the logic of someone who might be tempted to bow down and worship that thing and fail to realize, no, there's something behind that. What? What pun are you thinking of? I'm right just now? laughing at you. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> making like, profound insights. You're, I mean, these are some profound insights. I, mean, I Absolutely. I mean, I can. Like, we are, I, I think that we live in an age where people are like, they're damaged in their relationship to who God is. And I think that they're retreating into this exact vibe that you're talking about right here. And I think, and I, this is, this is very strange. This is a very subjective statement. Okay. I think personally, sometimes I wonder if, if Gnosticism, which our culture also falls into is a worse sin than nature wor nature worship. Because nature worship, like what the Egyptians are doing, they look at something that is of God, something that has objective beauty that reflects the very presence of God, and they're tempted to bow down and worship it, which makes some logical sense, even though it's wrongheaded. Which, which, as you, opposed to Gnosticism, which says, no, material, physical, natural things are actually bad, and we should reject them. And only, you know, in our culture, you know, we're so, everything is technology, and we have to. You know, we, we throw out the things of we're so disconnected from the natural world that God actually gave us. That actually is more dangerous, I think. And I have an easier time evangelizing people who worship nature the, the, than I the, have the, people who worship ourselves. The the woods are my cathedral. That's an easier case for me to make, I think. Then then You know the, what I mean? Yeah, and, and I actually think that part of Which what you're why, talking about is, is a hyper politicism Yes, it is. That, that we're actually living in. I mean, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and I was like they were like, Now let's talk politics. Oh jeez. And I was like <laughs> I was like, let's I was like let's not. Let's actually like talk about how Jesus is all in all. Let's actually go into that and discover beauty and not just yeah some sort of uh, other way in which humans wound humans, but to actually find the source yeah. of forgiveness. And we can't forget that a lot of Egyptians became, a lot of Egyptians followed the Israelites out of Egypt because they saw and they were like, oh, that's what we've been looking for. We get it now. Mm. Anyway, this is what's behind the first read. Right? <laughs> it really is. No, it is though. And this is what it, it's it, speaking to. It's talking about the, the, yeah. the destruction is the things that they fell into and, so this is, I think that's actually, that's actually sufficient for the first reading because that is what defines the whole first reading. And for, specifically, the first reading is talking about the Passover. It was known beforehand to our fathers and with enduring knowledge of the oaths in which they put their faith, they might have courage. In other words, God is actually going to use creation not as a thing to be worshipped in and of itself, but he's going to use creation to point to his own salvation. Which seriously is, is a point that I find so hard to convince people of the sovereign nature of God yeah. within ministry. I think yeah. that I think that there is, a, like, even amongst the faithful, there's a certain sense that we live in the head. 
Yeah. And not in the fact that we exist within matter. Right. Like, like, like there is a separation. I, I think yeah. partly because the sexual sin is so rampant. Yeah. That, that yeah. people actually separate from their bodies. They, yeah. they, just because they, they yes. say, I would be okay if I didn't have all this sexual sin in my life. I would be okay if, right. I mean, this is amongst the faithful, I'm saying. Like, like, and so, so they make this kind of like weird break and say, gosh, the material doesn't actually have anything to say to the spirit. Yes. And, like, and, and here's, here's a simple, a fun way. Yes, that I think you can begin to access the fact that you dwell within a body, and and it and it's this. It's this very simple question: What animals come into your life? Mm. What animals are coming into your life, and why are they there? Yeah, like I, I, Annie asked me that question. Yes, no, it's a that's a very normal Campoitiwat question. Well, animals, yes, they're affected by the stain of original sin. But in a certain sense, animals don't have free will. Right. Which means they can't choose against the will of God, which means animals follow God's will. So if an animal shows up in your life or crosses your path, they're there because they've followed the will of God in some sense. And and I think that that's a kind of an interesting way to access yeah. the the profound reality of that we exist within bodies. Yeah. Even though we are souls. Yeah. Yeah. So that Which, leads us. I, I love that first oh, that wow. line though, and this is where we'll leave off the first reading. It's through this material thing, literally lambs that are sacrificed during the Passover in secret, <laughs> as it points out. It's what puts into effect with one accord the divine institution. The divine institution, I think, in in veiled language, is talking about the Eucharist. The Eucharist, what will become the Eucharist, is put in motion. The whole plan is put in motion back by these lambs, sacrificed in private, in secret, in Egypt, in the midst of this land who wants to worship these things that are of God. The whole plan is put into effect. The, the, the wheels are put in motion at that moment. I would go back even further to Cain and Abel. But it, that's what it, but it says so in the um, Yeah, I mean... I I'm know just, it goes back further I, I'm just that. saying that it, it, it's, ta- it's tapping even a deeper <laughs> root. It does, yes. <laughs> I mean... But it says I mean, it. far be it for me. Yeah, it's put into effect. Amen. So, and that takes us to the response. This is this podcast is taking oh. a turn I didn't expect it to take. Ooh, and then there's one thing. And <laughs> um, once they had sung the ancestral hymns of praise, mm. I heard once um, that somebody was talking about how musicians are forecasters of the future. Which Where is, do you see that? Where is that line? Um, end of nine. You're an end of nine. Oh, you know what? It, it's not in the reading this week. It cuts it off before that. Mer, mer, mer. Then we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> we ain't going to talk about it. But speaking of singing ancestral hymns, Psalm 33. See, this is interesting because a, a song actually predicts the future. Because if you think yes. about it, when was the, what was the last song that you got stuck in your head? <laughs> I don't want to say. <laughs> I'll tell you after the podcast. <laughs> I, I've been singing a couple of songs during this podcast, but I don't even remember what it was. But um, what they are is that was somebody who at some point, uh, maybe a long time ago, yeah. said, hey, this is something real. I'm going to touch it. And now it actually pours forth into the future, yeah. into our lives, into this very present moment that we exist in, and it, which includes the Psalm 33, yeah, which, which, is, which are the most enduring songs that we've ever known ever, period. Absolutely. So I mean, blessed, t- top 100 hits that have nothing on the the Psalms. What's that guy? Who's that guy that used to do the top? Oh, he, Casey he Kasem? Casey Kasem. He did the New Year's Eve thing too. Yeah. Are we old? Is that just showing how old we are? Yeah. Shoot. Anyway, blessed are the people the Lord has chosen to be his own. I don't know. I, I'm thinking about Egypt again. Who is the Lord chosen to be his own? He's chosen everybody. He's chosen the Egyptians. There's a reflection on this because he wants everyone to come out of their idolatry. He, and we all fall into some kind of idolatry. No, we do. We all put things before God. This is explicit in the first reading with the Egyptians. But the Lord has chosen them to come with him. And that's actually... It, it's setting us up for the first reading in which, so what does it mean to be chosen by the Lord to be his own? It means being willing to go forth and do things that seem totally foolish, which is what the second reading is actually going to be all about. Mm. But we're all chosen to go forward Mm. and do things that are totally absurdly foolish, or at least seem like they are. Mm. 
what it means to be one that God has chosen is whether or not you're willing to do that or not, whether or not you're willing to take that step of faith and act like a risk. fool and risk everything to keep moving. That's what the second reading and that's what the gospel is all about. Right. Which is, it, it seems like the psalm is limiting, but it's actually not. It's actually expansive. It actually is all-encompassing, if people are willing to do it. Now, few, it, it's why, I don't know, what's that meme? You know, there, there, there's a reason that <laughs> there's a stairway to heaven and a highway to hell, right? You know, the, the roads, <laughs> you can tell what the traffic patterns are going to be like, because it's, but it's not. I've never seen that Have meme. you not seen that? You I just, just saw that recently. <laughs> that's really funny. But it's not for the fact that God has not desired that. It's just the reality. Few will be able to, or be willing to take the risk, but he, he longs for it. And he longs for us to exalt the just in the Lord and praise from the upright. It's fitting in the nation whose God is the Lord. He wants all people to be Israel. Israel is not an ethnic, an ethnic, ethnic. identity. <laughs> it's not meant to be. Israel is not a redneck, a redneck identity. <laughs> it's not meant to be an ethnic identity. It's meant to be a calling card for all people to be brought into. That's why worldwide to be, blessing to be Catholic, Catholicos worldwide blessing. It's not an ethnicity. There's not an ethnic Catholic. It is a universality that mm. all people are meant to be brought into. Mm. That was the vocation of Israel to begin with. Israel, of course, is an ethnicity, but it was meant to be a people to draw the rest of the world mm. into itself. And she failed at that in a lot of ways. And we still continue to fail at that. But that's why God changed the name. It's like, okay, maybe I should make this more explicit. You are universal. You are Catholicos. Go and bring all back in. Mm. Which is why, you know, in November we're going to have, uh, I, I invited a woman to speak at our Aquinas Institute lecture from Assyria. She's one of the last surviving Assyrian families. Are you serious? Assyrian with an A. To talk about, the <laughs> yes, I am. But to talk about, I, I don't know, the, the, the universality of what we're called to and how parts of our faith are actually being exterminated, but there is a universality to this. Yes. So that's what the psalm is getting at, which again, I think leads us into Hebrews. May your mercy, a, Lord, be upon us as we place our hope in you. Is that the... That's word? the last like line. Oh, of the psalm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. Yes. So the psalm, it, it, this is the I chapter mean, the 11 Hebrews. of Hebrews. Cha- yeah, sorry. Sa- chapter 11 of Hebrews is kind of a highlight reel of the superstars <laughs> of salvation history. It is. Ba, ba, ba. Like, <laughs> ba, dude, I want to I break into uh, the uh, uh, sabotage by Beastie Boys. <laughs> Glad you brought the Beastie Boys into it. <laughs> well done. Speaking of songs stuck in your head. <laughs> Because I just get, like anybody who knows that song is now has like that, like it's rocking in their minds. I don't, but I have another Beastie Boys second song stuck in my head now because you said that, that I don't want there. Hey, so thanks claim authority over your mind, dude. I'm trying to. Um, anyway, so, so this is zeroing in on the person of Abraham. So brothers and sisters. Abraham. <laughs> you are loopy today. What's the brightest one? Well, it's my birthday. You know, you're right. You were allowed to be loopy. <laughs> Dude, you can you can you can criticize me all you want for being loopy, but guess what? I'm not gonna criticize it. That's what? good. Cause I'd body slam you. Whatever. Dude, we're bodily and and my body is trained <laughs> in ninjutsu. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. All right, so faith is the realization of what is hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. This, again, going back to the first reading, the Passover. So the first reading is really all about the I know we give a lot of backstory on how this first reading came about, but yeah. really the heart of the matter is that you have this people living in the midst of an idolatrous, idolatrous? Yeah, idolatrous, idolatrous yeah, yeah. culture, worshiping. I like mean, think about, think about what's going on in the first reading. You have a whole nation who is worshiping lambs because they're considered gods. Where it our is nation a, worships, um, li- literally worships um, money and sex. But, I mean, t- take it, yeah, that's true. But for the Israelites, they, they, we live in abstractions, which is frustrating. But for the Israelites, to kill a lamb was a capital offense. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we realize sometimes the full Meaning weight Meaning capitus of, means your head going to get cut your off. Your head going to get cut. But to, to realize the full weight of what it meant for the Israelites to slaughter a lamb, and not only slaughter a lamb, but to put the blood on their doorpost so that everybody knew, I've committed a capital crime. No, what that's you, like so intense. I mean, it's, it's like... so it, intense. Could you... I mean, I literally can't imagine. Yeah. It, it, I can't imagine. And then, again, the, the Hebrews is talking about that. Faith, what do we it's do because equivalent? of faith. 
It's the realization of things hoped for. I sure hope this works. I mean, imagine being the father with the hyssop branch. Like, oh, man, I sure hope this works. Because <laughs> otherwise, my whole family's going to die tomorrow. And you're kind of caught in between a rock and a hard place. Because either you're going to be killed by the Egyptians for committing a capital offense of killing one of their gods. Or there's the Passover warning, which is that the angel of God will kill you if you don't do it. Dude, which... So you're like, mm, what do I do? This is That's funny. a rough moment. I feel like that that is actually something people face within temptation. I feel mm. like there's a certain amount where they're like, if I don't get this thing, I'm going to die. Yeah. But you're like, but I know that God has prohibited this thing. Mm. And I know that if I do this, I'm going to die. Oh my. Like literally, I, I, th- I think that like, I, I think, I mean, it goes back to Satan's thing. You certainly will not die, yeah. but it's precisely what brings death. And like, yeah. I actually think that this is the, is the ancient temptation, but then the, like, like the, that we go and we, but are we doing it for faith or for our own selfish ends? Are, Shoot. Are we actually going to, are, are, are we actually willing to die for God? Yeah. And that's actually, it leads us directly into the passion. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. I, but but it but it requires again exactly what this first reading talks about. Are you willing to take that first step? Mm. Abraham did, and that's the thing I love about the scriptures. It's not this abstraction. It's not just here. This is what you should do. Again, you know the psalm saying you should do this. You should step forward in faith. But Hebrews saying, okay, here's an example of somebody who did it. That's why Abraham is this model. Look, because he obeyed when he was called to go out to this place. He was supposed to receive it in his inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was to go. By faith, he sojourned in the promised land as in a foreign country. Now, the second reading I was, I was kind of reflecting on as I was reading through it. So it talks all about in the first part about, okay, Abraham did this. He didn't know it was coming. He stepped forward in faith. Mm. He took that step. He went. He didn't know where he was going. It was profound. It's beautiful. But here's the kicker. He never saw it. He never saw the fulfillment of that. Dude, that that's He never a, got the answer. Well, that's the like point of this reading that I drew out is yeah. like is like here are all these people and they had all this faith and hope is this thing and things unseen and none of them saw it. So right. bah, bah, bah. I mean, it's not entirely true. It says none of them saw it, but did any of them see it? They saw glimpses of it. Did any of them see it? Abraham. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> I I I, I uh, I feel trapped right now. I know you should. I, 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 fe- I feel like um, I, uh, I w- n- seldom affirm, never deny, always distinguish. Did Abraham ever stand in the promised land? No. I mean, not till the New Testament when he was hanging out with Jesus on the Mount of the Transfiguration. But yeah, but, but we can't discount that. I mean, that's actually really important. <laughs> Number one, he did, he was in Canaan at one point. So I mean, when it's he, kind of a trick question. I mean, it's funny but, because because my Star Wars informed mind just goes immediately to seeing Obi-Wan Kenobi hanging out on Endor with Luke Skywalker and uh, and and R2D2. Like but I know that like I mean I, but that's like the perversion of culture. No, I'm just pointing that but out. But you're right, but that's a more real experience than he would have had in his earthly life thousands of years ago. He has mm. a more real experience of the promised land than we do. But actually Let's check that. No, he doesn't. No, because this is the thing is he doesn't have a body. Yeah, that's why I was about to say. Let's. He doesn't. But here's the, the, the thing. The, about the, the promise is there. He does see it, but there's this pining for the second coming. Right. When, when we will all actually be able to inherit. And that's where that comes back to that last line of the first reading. It puts into effect, it puts into motion with one accord, the divine institution. Mm. Not only do we see the promised land, not only do we actually step foot in it, mm. we actually receive literally, we have more. I'm, I'm nervous about saying this, but Uh-oh. I'm tempted to say, I'm, I'm wondering if we actually have more as Catholic Christians who receive the Eucharist than Abraham does. Even in the, well, he's in the beatific vision, but he doesn't have a body. Our bodies can literally receive heaven into them I, I, which in a very is, real way. And I don't know what's just better. I, that's, that's the wrong dichotomy to use. But, I mean, we actually get... Abraham doesn't have a body. He will someday on the last day. All bodies will be resurrected. But I can actually receive the promise of the divine institution set into motion. Yes, originally with Cain and Abel. And then through the Passover, I can receive that into my body every day if I want to. Yeah. That is living in the promise that Abraham was never able to fully see. 
We have we bear the fruit of this, and yet we still are asked every day to step forward in a way that we're still blind to, because for whatever reason, God has still put a veil over it. We receive heaven into our bodies, but it's veiled in the form of bread, mm. and it doesn't look like what it actually is, but we actually still receive it. We partake it. So we're still today asked to step forward in faith with a certain amount of blindness, with a certain blinder on, right? But still receiving the answer to the promise in a fuller way than Abraham ever received, in a fuller way than Moses and Elijah and all of the greats and David ever received. Well, we still get it. You, you went from went, went from trepidatious to pretty bold. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. No, I I totally agree. If you, uh, uh, if this is the mysterious reality of what we exist in right now. Yeah. I mean, like we like being enfleshed. It, we're not abstractions and. Right. We, and what we do in the body really matters, which is so hard to actually conceive of um, culturally, culturally, physiologically, like that the, the, there is something to this. Like, actually, that's why I love living waters is it's like it's like essential aspects is that when you pray over somebody. You uh, really, it, it, you're meant to be with them. You're supposed yeah. to put your hand on their shoulder. You walk forward. You actually exist within bodies and you acknowledge the reality of another. Right. And you go and you minister within that capacity, which I just think is, is so phenomenal. But it's, it's, it's hard to access because the truth is, is, is like we live in, in junk food world where we can eat, you know, like, I don't know, Cheetos, fiery Cheetos with limon or some like, you know, Red Bull or something like that. Like, and, and you just live in an abstraction versus this actually really beautiful thing. Are we still in Hebrews? Yeah, Hold I know. On. We got we to gotta spend our last two minutes on, on, <laughs> on, the on the gospel. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Oh, there's just so much to say about the gospel. So, so Jesus, remember, if you remember from a couple weeks ago when we started talking about this, and maybe we said it in the rerun last I week. I remember We have like you. a minute before you have to go. Okay. I'm sorry. Don't you have to leave? I mean, I mean, we still have more than a minute. Oh, okay. The podcast is getting really long. What time is our podcast at? 42 minutes. Oh, we, this is normally when we stop. Yeah. But this is, you guys, for those who are listening to us right now. We've got a lot of pent up things. Yeah, we Scott and I haven't talked to each other for two weeks, which means that we've like... The scripture is filled. We have had ex- extreme experiences in our life. So talk to me about the gospel. Okay. And stop texting. I, I can't. I'm, I've got my hand in a lot of pots. Okay. Okay. Jesus says to us, so, okay, uh, we're in the middle from chapter 9 to chapter 19. We're in chapter 12. All of the things that Jesus does and says are are, are, are things, and all the parables that actually show up here are, are specific to Luke. It's what we call the travel discourse, the travel narratives. So okay. it's all about people traveling somewhere or a master returning home or people not being prepared for the return of somebody. Jesus knows what he's about to do. He's headed to Jerusalem and people will be caught off guard because God is coming back, right? This is the answer to what everything from the first readings we're talking about. All of these things that were unseen, all of this hope, the stepping forward, it's all going to be brought to bear in the gospel, right? Because Jesus is coming whether you're ready or not, whether you've taken that step forward <laughs> or not. boy, is he angry. And boy, is he <laughs> angry. <laughs> is, is it, is that, yeah. So everything that you see in That's these... That's a joke. He's not angry. He's not mad. Well, he I might mean, be. I mean, yeah, he may yeah, be. Yeah, it depends on where you're Who going. knows? But in these 10 chapters, again, everything is of the theme of someone is coming back. Master's returning, people coming back, right? So Jesus says to his disciples, do not be afraid any longer, little flock. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. That first line really strikes me in that. Little flock. You're a little flock. (laughs) But that first line really strikes me in that the first readings are really all about people being afraid in a certain sense. Right. Are you willing? It's the, the fear is underlying everything, but the readings are talking about, are you willing to step forward? Even though it's scary, even though it's unknown, even though you have blinders on right. and the response then comes into the gospel, but don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid, little flock. And who is the little flock? Well, the little flock was Israel in the first reading. The little flock is Abraham and his family in the second reading. The little flock is the disciples, the apostles, and the little flock is actually all of us. The little flock is the the Egyptians who are like, man, I don't know if I'm prepared to leave my whole world to follow after these Israelites, these slaves that lived in the corner of our territory for a long time. 
but I'm actually thinking I'm going to follow those guys. I'm going to mm. go with them. I mean, who this little flock is, I think, is fascinating. But the Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. So what? Sell your belongings and give alms. What does that remind you of? Sell everything and, and, and do something. It, it's reminiscent of Abraham. Now, Abraham didn't sell everything before he followed God, but he, he left he, behind his homeland. He didn't have eBay or he Craigslist. He didn't have eBay or Craigslist. But he left behind everything, and he followed after him. For some reason, it echoes to me the sell what you have and give alms. Provide money bags for those who don't, do not wear out inexhaustible treasure in heaven that no thief can reach or moth destroy. For mm. where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Mm. I'm reminded of Abraham who just left everything behind and started moving. And then you move into the, the first reading, right? Then gird your loins, light your lamps. That's a direct quote from Exodus. What are they supposed to do as they're eating the Passover meal? Gird it's their to gird their and loins and light their lamps. Lamp. And eat some bitter <sighs> herbs. Yeah, so that they're ready to go. Be like servants who await their master's return from a wedding. And that's where Jesus kind of twists the words. What is the exodus? Well, it's the master trying to wed himself to you. It's the groom wedding himself to the bride. That's what it means. That's what you're getting ready for. It's not this girding your loins, eating this lamb in fear. It's supposed to be a girding your loins, eating the lamb, getting ready to go to the marriage, not to run for your life. Right. We have our minds flipped on this. He's like, I'm ready to wed myself to you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Blessed are the servants whose the master finds vigilant on his arrival. You know, it goes on from there. And then we jump and then the, the, Peter has this great line, right? He says in a few lines, well, oh, I actually, I missed something. He says, be sure of this. The ma- if the master of the house had known the hour when the thief was coming, remember the thief in the night passage, if the master had known the hour the thief was coming, he would not let his uh, house be broken into. I keep missing it. It's actually earlier. It says he should, should he come in the third? He's okay. Third or fourth watch. Yeah. Be vigilant, right? Gird yourself. Um, if the master is going to come in the second or the third watch, will he find them prepared? Right. Second or the third watch. I, I, I was reminded of something Jesus does in the gospel of Mark. Now we're getting this from Luke, but in the gospel of Mark, there's four watches in the Jewish mindset. So in, in the Jewish kingdom, there were four watches in the night. Do you know what the watches are? Um, and I'll see if I can remember them. Hold on. It's, um, it's <coughs> Citizen, Timex. No, stop um, it. Swatch. And... Doggone it, Father Peter. I knew you were. You seemed so serious. The four watches. <laughs> so in Mark's gospel, remember, um, in, it's, I think it's in chapter, it's toward the end of Mark. He gives a parable in which um, there's four different hours of the night, watches, in which the master can return. And he says the four hours, the four watches are in the evening, at midnight, number two, at cock crow, and then in the morning. Those are the four watches that, that people would, you know, it's four o'clock and all is well, you know, that whole thing. Those are the four watches in the Jewish mind. So evening, midnight, cock crow, and then later in the morning. Do those four hours remind you of anything? The crucifixion. Yeah, it's the passion. The whole passion is shaped around four different watches of the night. So in the evening, you have the Last Supper, right, happening in the evening. At midnight, you have the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is out there. At cockcrow, remember, that's when the trial is happening, and Peter hears the cockcrow three times. And then in the morning, he's actually led to the cross. What Jesus is subtly doing, actually, is overlaying the whole passion narrative over the thought of when the master will return. Will you be ready at the watches? Will you recognize it? In the watch mm. of the Last Supper? Will you recognize it in the watch in Gethsemane? Will you recognize it in the watch of the trial? Will you recognize it when the Son of Man is headed to the cross? Are you going to be the servant who is unprepared? Because you're thinking of something else. You're waiting for something else. You're moving ahead in faith, looking forward for something else. Could the, ex- could the Israelites in the time of the Exodus ever imagine that the promised land that they were headed toward is actually only accessible through the cross? Could Abraham have realized that the worldwide blessing which his descendants are promised is only accessible through Jesus dying on the cross? You know, I'm really struck by the ending of this reading when Peter is like, okay, is this for everybody or just for us? And then he gives this other parable about about, um, 
a master beating his servant because he was unfaithful. And I don't know if you read this closely. It just I did. It and talks about only, beating a lot. He says, yeah, if he didn't know his master was living, then he'll get only a slight beating, even though he should have gotten a much worse beating. Yeah. So, and I was reading this, and I was like, well, this is just really harsh. Why does Jesus keep talking about people getting beaten for not being prepared? And then I realized, who gets beaten in the Gospels? Jesus. It's only Jesus who gets beaten. Jesus, actually, I realized by the time I got to the end of the gospel is taking on the punishment for all the unfaithful servants, all the people who were unprepared for the master's return, whose punishment righteously was a beating. Jesus actually takes their punishment on himself, even though he spends 10 chapters warning, be ready, get prepared. It's coming. Be on watch, open your eyes or else there's beatings coming. And then he takes it all upon himself. Oh. And then he has the gall to say at the very end, you know, the talk about the, the beating, the, the only light beatings, <laughs> which I thought about to myself, all of the apostles except John are martyred in similar ways to Jesus. Jesus takes the cake. He gets the big beatings that is actually the punishment of everybody else. But then he allows the apostles and all of us to actually share in the lighter beatings so that we can all participate in that weird, strange, salvific sharing of... of, of uh, The cross of the Jesus cross. Christ. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, you just listen to this last line. Much will be required of the person entrusted with much. Yeah. And still more will be demanded of the person entrusted with more. Yeah. Jesus... What is, what is he? He's sovereign. Yeah. And he actually says, I will be, uh, I will be, it will be demanded of me. Yeah. And yet he, that he is the one who takes it up. And yeah. like how, how, how lame do I feel sometimes in relationship to the beatings that really are mine? Pretty lame. Yeah. But, but like, this is the thing is that Jesus isn't there to shame us. He's saying like, no, you've been entrusted with something. So join me. Yes. I've been entrusted with all and look at what it means. Yeah. And so have courage, be with me, come Mm. like, don't mess around. And that's where we look back and we see the wisdom of Solomon, how much was entrusted to him and how he could buck it off. And, and how, um, you look in this, the Psalm writer was entrusted with so much and Abraham and all these kind of like heroes of the uh, of the old testament like they were entrusted with much and they suffered much yes but it was for a reason and that was and that's redemption and none of that will be lost none of it will be lost like dude you just blew my mind though i just am saying like that this this makes it feel like an official lanky guys episode oh yeah that's all i want because like when if my (coughs) mind isn't blown i'm kind of like well that was a nice podcast no we need the blown minds oh yeah well y'all thanks for joining us today We'll be back next week with another brand new episode of The Lanky Guys. And until then, dude, I, I, a shout out to uh, to Stephen Black, to Stephen, to Tracy Bickle, to uh, Clyde, Chris, Obed, uh, to uh, to uh, Ben, to uh, Andrew, to uh, all of my people. Like I, I'm, I'm just trying, like at the last minute, just say how many awesome people there are. Um, to Anne, to Bonnie, to um, to uh, Becky, to um, all of you Living Waters people who are so influential in my life. Love you. We love the people. All right, we'll be back next week. See you guys. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.